thinking about the next few weeks, and uh, usually I teach in series, but we're going to have a few here, just uh, I call them standalones, standalone messages by itself. And I just, uh, just wanted to, I just felt like God wanted to minister life to you today. Is that okay? So I want to talk about the potter's hand. I was reading through Jeremiah some time ago, and this stuck out at me in Jeremiah 18, just six verses. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop. I'll speak to you there. How many know God will use sometimes mundane things to talk to you? So it did, as he told me, and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he has hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to the clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Wow. There's a lot there. Let's look at a few things here. Uh, in fact, here are some other references. You can go through the Bible and quite a few references to God being the person who is molding us, so to speak. Second Timothy 2, verse 20, New King James. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some to honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, anyone who cleanses himself from the latter, that is from dishonor, he'll be a vessel for honor sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. How about 2 Corinthians 4, 7? This is English Standard Version, ESV. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Isn't that good? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. And then Isaiah 64, verse 8, And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. Uh, we are all formed by your hand. There's an odd slant on Isaiah 29, 16. The, the person that was the clay was quite resistant. He says, how foolish can you be? He's the potter and he's certainly greater than you. The clay, there's somebody bumping against the potter's hand. Huh? Uh, should the created thing say to the one who made it, he didn't make me? Does a jar ever say the potter who made me is stupid? You're not very smart if you do that, I would say, would you? So, so here's Jeremiah. He goes into a, a potter's house. A potter's house. In fact, uh, pottery shops in the Middle East in uh, very much more rustic cultures than ours are similar to the way they were thousands of years ago. And they haven't changed a whole lot. So, so here's a potter's house. Uh, the atmosphere had to be controlled in the potter's house, humidity and such. So it's, it's near a, it's near a, a river. And, uh, and there's a clay on the river bank. And that's where he gets the... The, uh, the clay for the, um, the jars that he's going to make and the utensils he makes from clay. So, so Jeremiah walks in the potter's shop. Now, I changed my notes. There's not five. There's six things he saw. Number one, he saw um, some clay just laying there, a lump. Uh, it was inert. It, it could not improve his own condition. It just lay there. Secondly, he saw a revolving wheel turned by the potter's foot. Uh, no electricity, of course, so they had a way to ingeniously make this little round disc that his foot moved, and it moved a little uh, disc that the clay was on. Thirdly, he saw a pot of water sitting to the side. And uh, water's for softening hard clay, so it's uh, malleable, so it can be molded. 
And water is a type of the Holy Spirit. How many know 2 Corinthians 3? We're changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. My clay was quite hard most of my life. I came to Jesus when I was young, but my flesh ruled me. The day I got filled with the Holy Spirit, September 12th, 1976, was a, a great day. Somehow God poured his water on my clay. And somehow things that I never could get rid of began to fall off. If you want God to do something fresh in you, you need the Spirit of God on your life. How many hear me? Fourthly, he saw a scrap pile. And that is there were uh, discarded clay pots that had been broken into pieces. And they were on the uh, scrap pile. They just didn't yield to the potter's design. And they were not useful. Fifthly, and this is where I changed my brother. He saw a kiln. A kiln is a, is, is a little place. It's, a, it's an oven with fire inside. And the clay pots or utensils were placed in the kiln. And there they were uh, tempered. And the uh, nature of the clay changes so that they can become useful. You know, as a little boy, we had a lady. Her name was Jessie Smith. And, uh, you know, she just went to be with Jesus in her early 90s. But uh, as a little boy... She had a great impact on my life. She was an artist, par none. And uh, we would have, anybody remember vacation Bible school? Well, I, my little self, I trotted right up there. And she would teach vacation Bible school. And then she taught our Sunday school classes as kids. But she was an artist by trade. And she would tell a Bible story. And while she's telling it, she, she, she drew it in color. Incredible. Incredible. I'd never seen anything. And then I remember on a Wednesday night, she came to our Wednesday night uh, services and taught the children. And she brought her kiln and she brought some clay and she had some water. And she showed us how to take clay in her hands and, and mold it. And then it's not very malleable. So she pours a little water. Then I made my little objects. I think I made a rocket because I was into rockets. And, and then we put them in the kiln and then we took them home. That's pretty cool. Um, anyway, that's an aside. Uh, anyway, there was a kiln. And then lastly, number six, uh, Jeremiah saw the potter. He was hard at work plying his trade. There's four thoughts about clay pots and the potter that I want to talk about today. So number one, clay pots are shaped by the skill of the potter alone. And the worth of the clay is determined by the potter. And without the potter's touch, clay's worthless. You get it? So, so, so we're talking two things today. We're talking uh, um, metaphor. Then metaphor is clay. And the analogy from the metaphor, a metaphor is, is something that's not usually um, uh, aligned with an area of life, but you align it. So this, so this is a metaphor. The metaphor is clay. And the analogy is the potter working with clay. So let's, let's get the story. So think about the story behind this here today. So when Jeremiah saw the potter, he put a lump of clay in the middle of that wheel. But, but he had to put it right in the center. See, because if you put it off center, then, then as he spins the wheel, the centrifugal force, it, it, it's lopsided. It falls over. It doesn't work. You get it? How many know it's really important to be balanced in life? And you know, if you do it the right way and you listen to the voice of God, he will not lead you to be imbalanced in any area. Oftentimes we want to emphasize the things we like 
de-emphasize the things in life we don't like. But if you want a life that works, a life that works is a life of balance. You know, I think it's in, uh, where is it, Colossians. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. You've got to be well balanced. You've got to be stable. For me, I don't know why, but I've always wanted to stay right in the middle. I think it's because God knew that I was going to be a pastor. A pastor can't get off on his own favorite tangents as he teaches, preaches, etc. He's got to, you know, you gotta, you got to have the whole counsel of God. So, you know, I have things I enjoy. You can't have your pet doctrines, your pet beliefs, yada, yada. And in life in general, that's all of us. You know, if you want to have good, stable children, they need to be rounded out well. And they won't be if you're not. Is that true? So he put that clay right, right, right in the middle, you know. Uh, and, and then it's on a wheel. He begins to spin the wheel and, and the clay begins to take shape as he molds, first of all, the outside. And then he begins to put his hand on the inside. So we're molded and then it really takes its shape and becomes beautiful as he molds it from the inside out. And he puts contours and shape to it. You know, it's the daily grind of life by which our lives are developed in God. You know, we don't just hear, the, hear really, the only thing that local church does, it teaches us, but then you're responsible to go take what you hear and take what you read, hopefully in your daily devotional time, and put shoe leather on it. And it's the shoe leather of daily life and what we do with it and the word that determines whether or not we develop spiritually. Is that true? A lot of people hear, and that's the reason James said, uh, you know, don't just hear the word, put it into practice. A person who hears only and doesn't do is like a person who sees his image in a mirror, goes his way, and forgets what he looked like. You know, he said you got to put into practice what you hear. Problem with a lot of people today, they're hearing so many things, they don't hear it deeply enough to when uh, the daily grind of life comes, they forget what they heard, they don't practice it, and so their lump of clay doesn't change. But God's plan is that it change. Then let's talk a little bit about the clay. The clay doesn't change by itself. Uh, some things you need to know about your lump of clay, you. Um, some things are out of our control. Heredity. How many know that's out of your control? That is the family you're born into. You ever thought, I wish I didn't have that daddy. I wish I didn't have that mama. That's where you get your DNA, my friends. And you can't change that. That's what life dealt you. That's what God gave you. That's the family you were born in. That's the DNA you have. You may not like the characteristics of what your parents gave you, but you can't change it. Only God can. Is that true? So you got heredity you have to deal with. We can't change that. How many, you can't change your personality. You may not like your personality. That's out of your control. Now, I've lived long enough to tell you, I know my personality. You know, I took a test some years ago. They gave me 137 pages of who I am. I didn't like reading not one of it. One of them, you know, you get, it's like they show you the, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, and a lot of other things you'd just rather not read. It's like, okay. But you know what I found out? Though you can't change your personality, you can put God's word to work in your life. You can allow the Holy Spirit to mold you. He can, he can, uh, he can sand off the rough edges. Is it true? You hear what I'm saying? So heredity, personality, and then, and then environment. Where you're born, where you grew up, 
You don't choose that. That was chosen for you. Bruce McDonald and I, I've spent a lot of time in Africa. We have 12 churches there. Um, uh, Gitauchu, uh, um, Tesfai, Gunta, and Dukias, four men that we still support in their ministries and they oversee. You've been with me, Bill. Some of those are very rustic areas and Bruce McDonald and I, you know, uh, in between ministry, you just kind of sit there and you're soaking in your own sweat. And here we are, 110 degrees outside, the ambient water temperature of the water you're drinking out of a bottle is equal to the air outside. It's just hot and miserable. And then you're sitting under a thatched roofed hut with bugs flying everywhere, getting up the, uh, your nostrils, trying to get down into your ears. Uh, you open your mouth, they fly in. And then, and then you have buildings the building you're sleeping in has no electricity, no running water. The walls are made of dirt. You've been there, Bill, right? And so Bruce and I have had this conversation, you know, and we said it so many times, you know, you know, Bruce would look at me and say, you know, you could have been born here, Mitch. And now that'll make you think. This could be your world. This could be your environment. You know, the ovum that became you is in your mama, and God put it there. You could have been born in Africa, in the dense jungles by a river, in a place with no running water. You could have been born in India. I've been all over India. You could have been born in Europe, Russia, Siberia. I've been there, Antarctica. But you were born here. You can't change that. But you know, God can work in the middle of it. Is it true? So again... Let me talk about the clay in another context. Clay has an ascribed value. In and of itself, it's not worth much. There's a lot of clay. You can look outside where we're building the building here, you know. There's a lot of red dirt out there. There's a lot. Yeah, dirt's plentiful. But what separates uh, dirt from something nice is the hand that touches it. It's the potter. The potter alone determines the value of the clay. So, you know, you go like to a, maybe there's a pottery auction or more broadly an art auction. You know, art, that's just a piece of canvas with some paint on it. And then, you know, you got a clay pot that may be worth, some of them may be worth several million dollars. It's determined from the era it's from and the hand that touched it. And that's me and you. Without God, we're of little value. I've noted that recently, seems like Americans particularly, we're paying too much attention to the clay pot. That play, clay pot's going to be broken one day. And the thing that gives it value will leave. If you pay, only pay attention to your physique, how skinny you are, how muscular you are, how far you can run, how much weight you can lift, you're going to get really disappointed one day because that clay pot's going to sag and bag and break. That's a fact. <laughs> Nonetheless, Genesis 2-7 is what it says, the Lord God formed. The Hebrew word for formed is the word yatsar. It means to, to mold by hand. The Lord God formed man. From the dust, yeah, that's clay of the ground. But see, then he put value in the clay. He breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. We live in a confused culture right now. 
because people think that animals have the same value that humans do. But we don't even value human life because we kill our babies. It's such a problem. If you care more about dolphins or, or these little uh, turtles that crawl out of the ocean and lay their eggs on the beach than you do about a human life, you have misshaped priorities, my friend. Another thing that gives human value, human life value, is God breathed into us. He didn't do that to, to animal kingdom. When God formed the animals from the ground, he didn't breathe into them. They just came alive. When God created the trees of the forest, the grass, vegetation, he didn't breathe into it. When he created us, he breathed his own life into us. That's the reason we have a, a value that is higher than anything in nature. And see, we live in the 21st century. People are confused. They think cows, dogs, turtles, dolphins have the same value as humans. Oh, they're valuable, sure. And we do want to protect them. We don't want to harm them by what we do. But they don't have the same value as you and I. We kill cows and eat them. Uh, we kill fish and eat them. You kill a human, you go to prison for life, perhaps. It's premeditated. Why? Because God gave us a value. Is that true? You can kick a dog and the SPCA will get on you. The animal control person will say, you know, you shouldn't be doing that, maybe fine you. You kick a human, that's... Uh, that's assault. Why? Because God put his value on us. And we've forgotten that somehow in the 21st century. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make humans, human beings in our image to be like us, us meaning the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let's make him like us. So, you know, Anthropomorphisms are what the theologians call appearances of God in the Bible. God has hands, feet, backside, face, arm, etc. Arms, etc. Um, God doesn't look like us. He created us to be like Him. Don't get it backwards. Yeah. He's the Creator. So again, the value of the clay, what's this, lies in the ability of the clay to retain the pattern given it by the potter. You get it? So what are you getting your value from? Are you just looking at your clay pot? Are you looking beyond you to the potter? Are you looking at what his hand has done for you? How he's molded you and made you, you know? Satan hence seeks to mar our clay pot. He wants to hinder it. Number two, some clay pots, pots, and that's the number two, some clay pots become marred as the clay resists the pressure, pressure applied by the potter. Not all clay, clay is as malleable as others. Jeremiah 18 verse four, we just read. But the jar he was making, the potter was making, did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Now, you know, Jeremiah lived in a time, um, 500 BCs, Israel had 
was going into captivity and uh, because of their sin. And he was the weeping prophet. He was talking to Israel about their disobedience to God, worshiping false gods, giving into their flesh, giving into their sexual desires apart from God's holiness and purity. So, uh, you know, he had a lot to say, and he, he was talking, and this is the context here of Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah's watching the potter. He's, he's molding a, a clay pot with his hands, and, and suddenly the pot collapses, and he watches. What caused the pot to collapse? Hmm. Must have had something to do with the response of the clay to the pressure of the potter's hand. You get it? You thinking? You see, you got to think about you. Romans 9, 21, does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Who determines whether or not the clay is honorable or dishonorable? Well, the clay itself has to yield to the touch of the potter and the clay that doesn't yield will never bend and never become what the potter designed it to be. You get it? It was the flaw in the clay that caused the pot to collapse. So, so what is that reference to? Sin? Sin. I mentioned this yesterday. We had a prayer meeting in, uh, uh, in America. We don't talk about sin anymore. And I read this. I saw this several times online in various forms. I'm not sure who said it. Maybe somebody can show me the origin of this statement. In America, we're offended by everything except sin against God. That went over big. Sin in all of its forms hinders God's work that he's seeking to produce. So let's talk about that. Sometimes there's inherited dispositions. Those are flaws. They go with that sin nature. All of us are born. Isaiah, um, Psalm 51, verse 5. David is David's prayer of repentance, all of Psalm 51. What a great prayer to pray. Pray that one. He was caught with Bathsheba after she had had his baby, after committing adultery, after lusting, after having her husband killed, after the prophet Nathan points his finger at him and says, you demand you're hiding your sin. David's prayer of confession. I feel tagged by the Spirit of God. You're watching. You've messed up. You can't change what you've done. If you hide it, you get worse. You expose it, first of all, to God. He'll forgive you. Then help you work out the aftermath. Don't hide what you've done, sir. The more you hide it, the more miserable you'll become mentally, emotionally, and it will begin to affect you physically. Pressure. Don't hide. Expose. He that covers his sin will not prosper. He that confesses his sin will have mercy. Is that true? Wow. Wow. So anyway, we all have predispositions in us. Uh, they are family traits that come from your mom, your dad, your back family background, your grandparents, great-grandparents, etc., up the family tree. We all have squirrels in the family tree, things that hurt, things that hinder, things that take away. Exodus 34, 7, the sins of the fathers and mothers are passed down to the third and fourth generation. 
But there's another verse that says, the blessings of God are passed down to a thousand generations. If you'll you'll let God deal with the inherited faults, it'll bless your family line long after you're gone. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren will one day meet you in heaven and say, thank you for not following the pattern. Is that good? (laughs) You know, some of us have tendencies uh, to be reserved to hide ourselves. Sometimes that comes from your family. I've met a lot of people. And you can tell the moment you walk up to someone, that person is not going to let me in. They say, howdy do. They talk about the weather, the latest sports activity, the latest thing that's going on in the political realm or something close that we all know about, but they won't talk about themselves. Now, you may be that person. Now, now that's a, a family flaw probably, but you know that, that also is extrapolated into your relationship with the Lord. If you have a tendency not to open up to others, you're probably a person that is afraid to open up to God. I, uh, I've been there. Once the Lord showed me that he wouldn't hurt me, wouldn't chastise me, wouldn't become angry at me, wouldn't um, forsake me, wouldn't be angry at me, but would love me when I opened my heart, it changed my world. Maybe you're that kind of person. Maybe you've never had a person you could trust because the very people God placed in your life you should be able to trust were untrustworthy. I just want you to know when your father and mother forsake you, Psalm 27, 10, then the Lord will raise you up. And there is a father in heaven who loves you. He'll listen to your mess. He'll listen when you open up. I can tell you by experience, I've had times, I didn't want to say it, but he saw it. Do you hear me? I didn't want to say it, but he could see it. And I'd say, God, you see that thought in me? I don't like that thought. Do you see that behavior in me? Do you see that pattern in me? Lord, I can't hide. Psalm 139, David said, if I go to the, if I go to the bottom of the ocean, you're there. If I go to the flames of hell, you're there. If I go to heaven, you're there. I can't get away from you. The highest mountain, the lowest ocean. We cannot escape his all-seeing eye. You know, the best thing is, just be honest, You'll find the potter. When you're honest, he will help you out. That's all I can say. Uh, others inherit um, anger, a predisposition for anger. That would be me you know, when things don't go my way. I've had to wrestle anger to the floor. And I'd say to the potter, could you help me with that? And he said, I'd be glad to. You're going to hurt your wife. You're going to hurt your children. You're going to hurt your staff at church. You're going to hurt your church members. Yeah, I'll help you with that one. Yeah. Anger. Now, others have a tendency to hold grudges. See, it runs in families. You ever seen people that can forgive anything, anybody, anytime? Seems like, you know, it's okay. It's all, it's all right. Don't worry about it. You said something off the cuff, crass. And they just kind of say, well, it's all right. And others, you say that, they won't even look at you again. I mean, they see you in the store. They're on the other side and ain't about to come near you till you leave. That's a person that holds grudges. Maybe you have that predisposition. You can't work that out of you by yourself. If you're that person who's quiet, 
unrevealing or the person that's angry. You can't work that out alone. You have to let the potter help you. You may be a person like me. I've had a root of pride in my life. And I've often said, God, you got to help me. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be known. I, I want people to see what I can do, what I can do, what I can do. It's not about me. It's about him. And you can't deal with that pride yourself. Only God can. It might be competitiveness. That's another one I had to deal with. You got to be just one up. You ever noticed in conversation when you're talking to somebody, their retort, they come back with something a little bit better than your story you just told. If you do that, welcome to Mr. and Ms. Competitive. Yeah. Self-centeredness, it's a big problem in American culture. Narcissism is, a, is at an all-time high. You might go want to look up in the encyclopedia, the histrionic personality. That's a personality bent on itself to the disregard of how others are helped or hindered by what it does. Uh, again, right along with that self-centeredness, desire to be the center of attention, lusts. All of those things we inherit from our forefathers, our ancestry, these, uh, these are flaws in our clay and God wants to uh, do something about them. Uh, your flaws could be maybe not, uh, not open sin, maybe not overt, covert Nobody knows the imaginations you have. Uh, nobody except God. Uh, Romans 6, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you're dead. And now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So again, we can't change ourselves. It is he that has made us, Psalm 100 says, and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So he's the potter, we're the clay. You know, King Saul was chosen uh, as the first king of Israel. He was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in his era of time. And he was a good looking man. I mean, all the women were going, fawning over to Saul. Mm, look at him. He's a good looking man. He had it in the looks area. And he looked better and stronger than everybody, except there's one problem with Saul. There was a flaw that nobody could see, and it was self-will. And that self-will did Saul in. It actually cost him his, not only his kingship, because God took the anointing off of him and gave it to David, but it also ended up costing him his life. So Saul, you know, he had that fatal flaw. Samson's another one used by God. You know, you think he was a big Hulk kind of looking guy. He was probably a little skinny guy that had no muscle mass. But man, he could, he could, he could whip a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. He was a man's man. He could rip the gates of the city off their, off their poles and pick them up. He was a little scrawny guy. It was the power of God. There's only one problem with him. He lusted after Philistine women. He liked them a lot. And Delilah got his goat. Huh? Ended up costing him his life. So, you know, all of us have sins like that, jealousy, pride, selfishness. They're all just as abrasive to God as the lust that uh, Samson had. So what about you? You know, your, your thing that mars your pot may be improper relationships. I'm going to tell you, if you don't deal with your friendships when you come to the Lord your friendships, close friendships with people who refuse to walk with God could be your spiritual demise. I noticed for me, I had lifelong friends 
who went to church with me, hardened in who they are, what they did, and I did it right along with them as a kid into my teen years. But when I came to Jesus, I had to make a decision. Is their friendship worth marring my clay? Is their friendship worth God taking his hand off me? Because I'd rather have their fellowship than God's. I had to make a choice. And there's a big problem today, particularly among the young. We want to be accepted by everyone. If you are accepted by everyone, I promise you, you're carrying things that, that have a hard time entering into the presence of God with you. Do you hear me? 1 Corinthians 15, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Number three, clay pots have to be reshaped by the potter. You know, sometimes a lump of clay prohibits the process of shaping. So, so, so here's Jeremiah watching that potter and, and he's trying to mold that thing and there's just this abrasion and, and he, just, he just pushes it down and it goes back to a lump and it's got to start all over again. You ever felt like you had to start all over in life because it was something that messed you up? Doesn't, doesn't mean that God's through with you. It just does mean that the purposes for God in your life are delayed. Jacob, Jacob was born with his hand on his, on his twin brother's uh, foot. And he was always trying to get ahead of everybody. Always making a deal behind the scenes. It cost him something. Genesis 32, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. A man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. An angel literally came down. and He was a grown man running from his brother. An angel came down. He didn't know it was an angel, and he got into a tussle with the angel. Who are you? What you doing in my camp? What you think you're going to do to me? And he wrestled with that dude all night long. Uh, angels are a bit stronger than we are. And then he said when, when the man saw he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. The man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, from now on you'll be called Israel because you fought with God and man and have won. Jacob, from that day forward, walked with a limp. God conquered finally the self-will in the man's life. And you know, self-will would do you in just like it did Jacob in. He walked with a limp the rest of his life. Sin costs. And you know, it's those people that walk with a limp, so to speak. Those are the ones that God can use. God, I noticed he doesn't use perfect people. He uses people that are moldable. Even, even though your lump of clay's got to be squashed down, start all over again, God's not through with you. So don't, don't feel like God's through with you just because you messed up. You know, you can change. You can extricate the lump from your clay. How many hear me? You know, Moses was 40 years old, saw one of his Hebrew brethren being, you know, mess, messed around with by one of the Egyptians and killed him, killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Somebody saw him, he had to run for his life for 40 years. During that 40-year process, God took all of the ambition out of Moses and then appeared, you know, the story in, in a burning bush. He said, Moses, your name means to draw out because his mother drew him out of the water when he was a baby. But now I'm going to use you to draw Israel out of Egypt. And, Mo, and then Moses said, I can't talk. I can't do anything. He was trained in all the wisdom and skill of the Egyptians. But you see... He had a, a, a marred lump in his clay. God had to remold his life and started his life over at age 80. You may be older in here. 
are watching. And you feel like your life is through and you've missed God and, you, and, and God can do nothing with you. Think about Moses. Moses was 80 before God did anything with him. Gideon, he was afraid of the enemy hiding, hiding in the barn. The enemy's coming, the Midianites. And God said, Gideon, get rid of your fear. I can make something out of your life. And God used Gideon and 300 men to conquer a big army called the Midianites who were stealing the Israelites' food. Huh? David had a lust problem with Bathsheba. I told you about that. And you know, after David repented, he became a man after God's own heart. Yes, sin will cost you sometimes God having to remold your lump of clay like he did David. It cost him something. God said through the prophet David, because you've done this, the sword will never leave your family. He had family problems the rest of his life. You say, well, I can see and wipe my mouth. It'll be all right because God will forgive me the way he forgave David. Don't forget. David's family life was challenged the rest of his life. If you have an attitude that you can sin and get by with it, and God forgives you, and it's okay, just be aware it may cost you something in this life, even though God forgives you. It's quiet, right? Me? Yeah, I had, I had some things in my lump. I had some lumps in my clay. For me, workaholic tendencies. Let's see what time it is. Y'all Okay. A good feeling about myself through accomplishment alone. I was a young man and didn't feel good unless I was busy. A lot of people are that way. I found out I was a workaholic at age 30, and it took a few years for God to pull that out of me. I'll talk to you maybe about that again in another, another time. A root of pride was in me at the same time that I saw that God had to pull that root up so he could deal with me. You know, what is the lump in you? What is it? What is that keep is keeping you from being the person that God created you to be? Number four, lastly, clay pots are perfected in fire. So once the potter's finished, you know he covers uh, he covers the object, the pot in uh, uh, with this with this um, covering that doesn't burn, and it keeps the fire from scorching the the clay. And then he puts it in the kiln. A kiln is a small open oven. But he puts, uh, he puts the clay in the kiln, and the kiln uh, changes the composition of the clay, hardens it, and uh, makes it non-porous. And actually, if you read about objects put in kilns, clays, different kinds of clays produce different things when they're heated in the fire. And the beauty of the clay is only seen when that silica in the clay is melted in the fire, in the furnace and you know, it's kind of, our life is sort of like that, huh? You know, who you really are really comes forth when you go through the fire. Isaiah forty-eight ten. behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, 12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering such you'll have a wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Then James, I just mentioned this, Philip's translation, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my dear brothers, don't resent them as intruders, welcome them as friends. Realize they come to 
test your faith and produce in you quality of endurance. No, that's you being put in the kiln in the furnace of affliction. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, not driven to despair. Persecuted, not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be made manifest in our body. So, you know, where are you right now? You may be on the, you may be on the molding wheel. Maybe there's a lump that's been found and you're trying to figure out what you need to do with that lump that God's found in your life. Maybe there's something from your ancestry, something that's followed your family tree and you found it in your life. Maybe there's some dispositions you have. Maybe there's secret sins that nobody knows about. Maybe, you're, maybe it's an anger thing, a pride thing. Maybe it's a selfishness thing. Whatever it is, God wants, to, God wants to help you remove it. How many know that we're cleansed by his word? And if the first step is humble yourself. Be honest with a potter. You can't do it yourself. You can't change yourself. You can't make yourself a self-made person. That's real popular in the past number of years. There are no self-made people. There are people who make a mess of themselves. But there are those that let God straighten up the mess. You know, for me, I got put in the kiln when I was 32 years old. I'd started the church in a small town. You've heard all that story if you've been at Victory in the length of time. But one thing I did note that God brought me to the end of me. You know, that, that workaholic, a lot of men are workaholics. A lot of women are workaholics. A world is a workaholic. You get your good feeling and sense of satisfaction out of accomplishment. And if you're not accomplishing things, you're ill at ease. That's a person that can never rest. That's a person that's destined to have a heart attack in early years. That's a person destined to have physical problems as they age. And that was that person was me. God had to put me in the kiln. He put me in an uncomfortable place. Let me tell you what the potter will do. He'll put you in a place that seems un, you're unfit for. It's a place you don't like. It's a place you'd never go by yourself. It's a place you'd not think of. But there you find yourself in this spot that produces pressure. That may be the kiln God has you in. And he's trying to get your attention to work an abrasion out of you. And to and to and let the fire purify you. How many hear me? For me, is when I started a church in a small town. Nothing went went my way. Nothing went the way I thought it would. All of my thoughts about what should happen did not come to pass, and I got really, really miserable. So the second thing he dealt with, he dealt with the, the workaholic tendencies. I don't have time to develop the story. I've talked to about it a lot, but he put me on my butt, sat me on my tail with not a lot to do while he met my needs and I'm miserable and I'm coming face to face with a lump. How many hear me? Yeah. And then he dealt with pride. This is 30-something years ago for me that he had me start a business I didn't want to be involved in and it humbled me to the nth degree every single day of my life while I was in ministry on the weekends. But what's God doing in you? Are you ill at ease? Are you satisfied with yourself? Where are you? Are you pliable or are you hard? Where are you? Where am I? Here's some questions. What's the potter doing in you? Are you being molded by his hand? Or are you changing? Are you resisting change? Are you being stripped down to nothing? Feel like you're starting over? Are you in the kiln? There's a huge chest. 
You can't figure up from down. It just could be the hand of the potter molding your life. Where are you? Everybody stand up. Did y'all get something out of this? Makes you think, right? I'm assuming the silence is thinking. Is that true? So here, here's the skinny. Here's the deal, really, seriously. If you're here and you say, you know, I, I really want the potter to do something in me. Maybe you're like me. I, I've seen things that only God can deal with in me. I can't change myself. I got to yield to him. Maybe you're in the pressure. Maybe you're in the kiln. Maybe you just need some extra water on your clay because <laughs> it's not bending very easy. You're here and you say, you know what? I want to let the potter work in me. It really, you know what it is? It's an attitude adjustment when you're going through hard places in life like this last year. <laughs> yeah. Maybe an attitude adjustment by the hour. Maybe. If you're here and you say, you know what? I, uh, I need the potter to work in me. And I want to give him permission to put his hands on my clay. If that's you, close your eyes a moment. Close your eyes and raise your hand. Say, you know what? I'm open for the potter to do what he wants to do in me. Would you lift your hand up? If you lift your hand up, you're saying, God, I hear you. I'm willing. I'm ready. I want you to make something. No music. I sang this as a little boy in a Baptist church. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Now you can play a little bit, Lord, as we uh, as we stand before you. You're the potter, we're the clay. Some of us are frustrated with ourselves because we keep tripping over the same things over and over, and it hurts our marriage. It hurts our friendships. It mars our business dealings. It hurts our children. Father, I ask you and every person, including me in this room, let your hand of mercy be on us. Make us aware of you working in us. Beginning today, Jesus is coming back soon. Help us to be found by you when he does return. Malleable, changing, searching, seeking. In Jesus' name.